Well, welcome to church. Welcome to Light City, wherever you're watching from. We just want to say a big, huge welcome and thank you to everyone for investing your time and spending some of your morning with us. I trust that you're going to be blessed today. I trust that you've been blessed today so far, but that as we continue to talk through the Word of God, that you're going to be blessed. And, and I tell you, I'm, I'm loving the series that we're in right now. We're actually in the third week of our series, Things Jesus Didn't Say. And, you know, that might seem like a super strange thing to talk about in church on a Sunday morning. You know, normally we spend time talking about things that Jesus did say. But sometimes that's important, and sometimes we can miss the meaning in things, you know, thinking that we know what Jesus said, thinking that we know what he was talking about, and oftentimes we get confused, and culture can sometimes infuse itself into the things that Jesus said. And so this month we're taking a little bit of time, spending, you know, a few moments breaking down things that Jesus didn't say in an effort to really come to an understanding of what did Jesus actually say. Because I tell you, you know, there's four books of the Bible that really capture Jesus' words. And his words are, you know, absolutely otherworldly. The, the wisdom and the knowledge that they possess has the ability to break us free from anything that we're experiencing in our lives. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I promise you something, Jesus has good news to speak to you in the middle of your situation. So that's why we're spending time talking about things Jesus didn't say. So to begin, you know, I, I guess I should say, you know, pre-COVID me loved to work out. I worked out, pretty much I've worked out my whole life. I, I can remember being in like eighth grade taking creatine, you know, because I was so determined that I wasn't going to be that little scrawny kid anymore. And you know, one of the interesting things about me in a gym, was laughing with some of my friends, you know, maybe two weeks ago, is that a gym can be absolutely jam-packed full of people. And for some reason, I, I really don't meet people. You know, like some people have gym friends and they really easily meet people and talk to people all the time. And, you know, I don't know if it's that I'm rushing or my serious face or I don't even necessarily know what it is, but I find that it's not often that people will stop me and talk to me. And so, you know, that's why, you know, there's a, there's a guy at, at my local gym and he stands out to me because, you know, we typically would go together. I usually go to the gym at around like 6 a.m. in the morning. And, you know, he would also go to the gym then. And we kind of, you know, developed this friendship, I guess you could say. It's kind of more of like a passing that we, you know, cross paths four or five times a week at 6 a.m. in the morning. But, you know, we, we kind of developed a little bit of a relationship. And, you know, I kind of felt like, you know, it's, it's about time now. It's been the appropriate time in our relationship that I should, you know, talk about what I do, that I'm a pastor and start to talk to him about Jesus. And, you know, it, it wasn't two seconds into the conversation that I introduced Jesus that he like, you know, whoa, 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 he, he stops me and, and he made the statement to me, you know, it's, it's cool, it's good, it's good, but, you know, I tried, I tried the Jesus thing and, and you know, it just didn't work for me and, you know, and, and, and so, you know, I felt it was my duty to try to understand a little bit more and so, you know, I asked him, you know, like, what? What exactly did you do? You, you tried the Jesus thing, and so what did you do? And, you know, he, he proceeded to tell me that, you know, I went to church for, you know, I went to church for two months 
straight. And, and in the middle of that time, you know, my girlfriend broke up with me. I lost my job. And, you know, my plumbing backed up and flooded my whole basement. And, and he said, I tried Jesus, but it just didn't work out for me. And so if you'll permit me, the, the message that I want to preach today is, is a message for people who are trying to be led by Jesus, who are trying to do things the Jesus way, but things aren't necessarily going the way that you expected that they would go. You know, before we jump in, you know, I'll tell you some of the other things that Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say that, you know, whoever does the will of my Father won't leave their windows open in the rain. Jesus doesn't say that if you lose your life for my sake, that you'll always look good in that swimsuit. You know, it doesn't say that, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and you'll never get that zit right before the job interview that you so desperately want. And, you know, Jesus never promises us that we would always be wealthy, never promises us that we would always have everything go the way we wanted to, that we'd always be thin or in perfect shape for the vacation we're trying to go on. He never promises us that Netflix won't buffer right in the middle of the documentary that we've been waiting to watch. He never promises that that will keep all of our hair. doesn't promise us that we'll never get turned down for a day, that our spouse will never get a headache when we're really, really, really in the mood. He doesn't promise us these things, but I wanted to take a minute then and talk about what did Jesus say? You know, I think sometimes in our Christianity, we can get a little bit confused or lost in, in our adaptations to what Jesus has said. But instead, I want to take a minute in John chapter 16 and talk about what does Jesus actually say? You know, this is a fairly, you know, important moment in John chapter 16 in the life of Jesus and in the lives of the disciples in that it's really Jesus's, some of his last words that he's going to speak to the disciples to prepare them for the mission that they're about to embark on. That he knows he's about to ascend to heaven and the disciples are going to be sent out into the, the rest of the world to begin to preach and promote the good news of the gospel. And this is what Jesus speaks to them in John chapter 16. We pick it up in verse 20. It says this, Very truly I tell you that you will weep and mourn. You know, like, welcome to Light City. Good morning to you. So sorry that this is the passage of scripture that we're going to dig into this morning. But he says this, Very truly I tell you that you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And in fact, in this discourse that Jesus is about to have with his disciples, he's going to use this phrase, the world, 19 times in his upcoming speech or this prayer as he begins to pray out or talk out his last will and testament, if you will. He's, he's going to say to the disciples, you know, that, that peace I give you and, and the peace that I give is not like the peace that the world gives. He's going to tell us that he came from his father to the world and that he's leaving the world to go back to his father. 
He says that if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. He says that if you belonged to the world and the world loved you as his own, it tells us not to choose the world, but that we've been chosen out of the world. And he reminds us that this is why the world is going to hate you. He, he then goes on to pray in this discourse, you know, don't take them out of the world but protect them in the world because though we're in this world, we're not of this world. And Jesus uses this phrase, the world, 19 times. So in verse 20, he says this very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. He says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And then Jesus gives us kind of this practical example of what he's talking about. In verse 21, he says this, that a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time, the time of labor, has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born, that her child has been born into this world. And you know, so, so what is Jesus saying in, the, in, this, in this discourse? Is he saying that there's this strange thing that can happen in humanity? You know, as, as, as I'm told, and, and, and I would have to say one of the things that I'm most thankful for is that I will never have to experience how much it hurts to have a baby. And, and what Jesus is saying is that, listen, labor is bad. I, I, I think that he's using labor as this example because, you know, it's, it's, it's physically the worst thing naturally that our bodies can go through. And he's saying that labor is so bad that there's so much pain that's associated with it. But there's a strange thing that happens in humanity where the moment that you hold your baby... It's as if everything that you went through in a moment is gone. And all you experience is this joy as you're holding this life that you've created. And, and I think that what Jesus is trying to say in this moment is that the pain was worth it. You know, that Jesus is saying that, listen, in this life, we are going to experience pain. But when we walk with Jesus, we have this amazing opportunity to allow him or where when we bring him into our life that he promises that he will turn our pain into joy. And verse 22 says this, so with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one, let me say that again, and no one will take away your joy. And then if we skip down to verse 33, it says this. He says that I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So that in me, so that in him, he's making the distinction between that there are some that are in the world and then there are others that are in him. And he says that in me you will have peace. 
And then he goes on to say, you know, in this world. And, you know, Jesus doesn't say that in this world, you know, you, you, know, you got this. Or he doesn't say, you know, you're going to crush it. Or, you know, you're going to own it. And, you know, you go, girl. And, you know, you're always going to find the most perfect parking spot wherever you go. You know, you'll never lose your Wi-Fi connection. You know, don't worry about it if one of your kids is bad. You can just trade them in for another one. You know, he doesn't promise us that, you know, that, that in this world, our girlfriends will never break up with us. He, he doesn't promise us that we'll never lose our joy. But in verse 33, he says this, he, he makes us this promise. He says, you know, in this world, that, that in me, you'll have peace. But he says, in this world, you will have trouble. It's almost that in this moment, as he's having these final words with the disciples, he's letting them know that, listen, guys, pain in this world, it's a promise that experiencing struggle is, is certain, that, that suffering in this world is inevitable. And I think that that's kind of what we're focusing on this, this morning, is, is that just because we follow Christ— does it mean that we're going to experience or live a pain-free life? But what Jesus does promise us is this. He says, he says that if you follow me, if you remain in me, yes, you're going to go through times of trial and struggle and challenge. But if you remain in me, you will have joy in the midst of your pain. Because here's the truth. Some of us, some of you right now as you're watching this, are in the middle of a really, really difficult season. You know, maybe it's that you feel left out. Maybe you feel, you know, overlooked by God, by someone in your job. Maybe you feel rejected. Maybe you're sitting down right now and you honestly feel like you're all alone. Maybe you've lost your confidence Maybe you're struggling and fighting against a battle with depression as we're still living in this lockdown. Maybe you're dealing with some really serious anxiety. Maybe you just got some bad news Friday before you left work. Maybe you're in the middle of fi a financial struggle. Maybe you're facing a health challenge or someone you love is facing a health challenge. Maybe there's a relationship with your kid and, and no matter how much you try to repair it, that kid just seems to continue to do the wrong things and the relationship is in shambles. Maybe the pressure you're experiencing as you walk through your daily life feels unbearable. That there's more to do to succeed than is humanly possible. Maybe you're just simply afraid. Maybe you're hurting emotionally. Maybe you feel overwhelmed or that no one understands you. And in the midst of the challenges, so often we can feel like, God, where are you? You know, I'm trying to follow you. Like the guy in the gym, you know, I'm doing the Jesus thing, yet all I'm feeling is pain. Now, there's something that I've learned about Jesus, that if pain is a promise, if Jesus says, you know, that in this world you're going to have trouble, there must be a purpose to our pain. And I want to spend the remaining minutes of my time here talking about the two blessings and 
you know, maybe that would be kind of a shocking thing to talk about, but, but what are the two blessings of dealing with trouble and hardship? Like, what are two things in our life that pain does? That when we're in the midst of trials and troubles and hardships, that something is actually happening on the inside of me. And the first thing I want to talk about is that trouble, trials, and hardships, that they prove our faith. I don't know about you, but if you've ever gone through a difficult season, which I'm sure you have, it's amazing how that season has the ability to reveal the depth of our trust, the depth of our faith or our belief in God. You know, Peter writes about this in the epistle that he writes. And, you know, at this time, this is about the year, you know, 60 to 65 AD. And during this time, the the followers of Jesus are being persecuted by this evil, evil man named Emperor Nero. And just to give you some context of, of the world that Peter is living in as he writes this is that, you know, some of the things that Emperor Nero does, like I said, he's an evil man, is that one of the things you read about is that he would take like the skin or the carcass of a dead animal and he would wrap it around Christians and he would tie them onto the inside of these, you know, dead animal skins and he would starve his dogs. And when the dogs were at the point of like turning on each other, he would, lo- he would release them and they would attack the Christian that was tied inside of this animal remain. You know, or another thing that it's, it, history tells us that he loved to do is that, is that he would capture Christians and he would cover them in wax. And when he was entertaining guests, he would literally light the wax. He would light the Christian on fire. And he would entertain guests to the screams of these Christians. And Peter's about to write something that's shocking, given the circumstances in which he's living in as he writes this. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. He says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. He says, Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, he says, These trials, they have purpose. These trials have come not to destroy you, but he says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. He says, these trials are here to show you that what you believe in, what you're talking about, that this is a genuine faith. And, and to me, you know, if, if there's a genuine faith, it obviously means that there's also a counterfeit faith. That if there is the genuine, then there must also be the counterfeit. And you know, I would argue that, that in our generation, inside of our culture, that counterfeit faith is, is one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest struggles that we face in the world and in the church. And I think the easiest way that I would define this counterfeit faith is that people's faith has no roots. You know, I know this because for me, you know, in so much of my Christian life growing up, you know, 
I, I've told this story many times. I was, you know, saved, I think, at two and a half. And, you know, I was praying in tongues by the time that I was three and a half. And, 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 and I was in church all the time, multiple times a week. You know, if, if it was a school night, you could oftentimes find me asleep under the pews in some crazy long church service that we had. And, and I learned in growing up how to be great at church on the outside. I knew how to sing the right songs. I knew how to recite the books of the Bible. But this faith had no roots. It looked great on the outside, but on the inside, it just wasn't real. You know, I've noticed this a lot. Is, it's a strange, strange thing being a pastor is that, you know, people confess things to me all the time. You know, like I can remember, you know, it was, a few months ago and I was out going to pick up takeout and, and somebody recognized me as the pastor of Light City, someone who, you know, went to our church and, you know, they tell me, you know, I watch, you know, I watch Light City on church every Sunday. And they're like, well, no, that's, that's not true. That's a lie. You know, but, I, you know, I missed a few Sundays, but, you know, I was watching, I, I watched about a month and no, that wasn't true. You know, it, and then they, you know, kind of came out and they're like, well, I haven't really even watched the whole time during COVID. And, and then they tell me, you know, but this is what happened. You know, school got a little bit crazy and I had to pick up some other courses. And so I had to take out student loans and I was having a hard time picking up my student loans. And then my car broke down. And then I was just so stressed out that I started partying. And I'm like, whoa, whoa God, like I'm just here trying to pick up my sandwich. But this so often happens to us is that we're doing the Jesus thing. Something bad happens, and because our faith has no roots, we find ourselves being pulled away by the challenges of life. I think this is what Jesus is talking about in this, this amazing parable that he told during his ministry on earth. It's called, you know, the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. And it's talking about a farmer who sows the seeds into four different types of soil. And he's using the soil as an analogy of, you know, the hearts of people, of individuals, and the different types of soil that when the truth is released to us, what happens? And two of the types of soil he talks to, he talks about the thorny soil and he talks about the shallow soil. The thorny soil is, you know, it's, it's the seed tries to grow, but it's choked out by the worries, by the cares of life. He talks about the shallow soil that, you know, everything seems like it's good and it sprouts up quick, but as soon as trouble or persecution or as soon as the sun comes out, it quickly dies off because it has no roots. And I don't know if you've ever been here before, but if you have, so have I in that you know, oftentimes we can go through challenges, you know, like we wake up and have migraine for the third day in a row and you can feel like, God, why don't you love me? You know, maybe you got rejected from grad school or rejected from that job promotion that you so desperately wanted. You find yourself thinking like, God, like, I don't even know if I can trust you. Are you even real? Maybe someone you know, a loved one dies of cancer and we find ourselves in this place of struggling, feeling like, can I even trust God anymore? But I'm here to tell you this morning that 
trouble is meant to prove our faith. It's not meant to pull us away from it. This is what Jesus is doing as he contrasts in the world versus in Christ. He says, listen, in the world, you're going to have trouble. But in Christ, in me, in him, we can experience triumph. And this is why I've come to realize in my life is that a faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. That living in triumph doesn't mean that I live free from trouble. That a triumphant life isn't a life that's lived in the absence of trouble. Triumph means that in the middle of trouble, that I can keep my head up and hold my head up high, and I can place my trust in a God that I know is faithful. You see, this is where joy comes from. Joy comes when I don't need to understand what's happening or why it's happening, but I can trust the process and I can trust the leading of God because I know that because I find myself in this situation, not only has God made a way of escape, but he's designed to turn everything out for my good. That I've noticed that oftentimes going through the hardest seasons of my life are the moments that I felt the closest to God. Why? Because I've settled. I've got some roots that go down deep that say no matter what is happening around me, no matter how much my world seems to be shaken, I know that God is good all the time. And all the time, our God is good. That's why can I tell you, if you're finding yourself in the midst of a trial and you're still worshiping, that if people are around you are saying, how do you still go to church? Look at how crazy your life is. Let me tell you something. The trial has proved that your faith is real. And when we remain in him, he says that he will turn our grieving into joy. So the first thing is that troubles, trials, and hardships come to do is they come to prove our faith. And the second thing that they do is they come to prepare us for purpose. You know, so often we can pray these prayers. We can say these things, you know, God, I want to grow. You know, God, I want you to make me stronger. I want to be prepared to, to spread the gospel to the world that's around me. And, you know, I have an unfortunate news flash for you, and that is that ease and comfort never make you stronger. You know, it's like the example about someone going to the gym. Something that I used to love to do. And, you know, and, and when you go to the gym, you know, what is it that increases our strength? Is it, you know, how long you can stay in the gym? Or is it those nice leather massage chairs that they have or the tanning booth? You know, no, none of those things make you stronger. What makes you stronger is when you pick up a weight and you experience, you force your body to undergo a little bit of resistance. Why is that? Resistance builds 
strength. Resistance comes not to destroy our faith, but resistance comes to strengthen it. Right, and this is what James says. James is, you know, the half-brother of Jesus. And he says this in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. You know, he, he's telling us, listen, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Right? Now, you'd be expecting, you know, consider it pure joy that we know that one day we're going to spend time in. Consider it pure joy because God has just turned all of your mountains and into, into sunsets and beautiful. No, that's what he's going to say. He says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Almost seems like those things shouldn't go together. I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'd like to rip out the book of James because he challenges us to approach life with a different perspective. He says, Consider a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, right? The trial is here to the trial is here to test. It's here to, to prepare us. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Right? How many of you have prayed that we want to be mature and complete? I know for sure that the majority of you have prayed some sort of prayer that has sounded like, I don't want to lack anything. And James is telling us that, listen, the road to experience the things that you want to experience is whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it joy because that trial is here to prepare you for your purpose. But here's the deal. So often when we face trials of many kinds, we, we kind of don't see the point. We, we get so focused on the trial. We get so focused on the challenge that, that we miss the point and we find ourselves, instead of considering it pure joy, we're just like purely discouraged or completely overwhelmed or maybe you just find yourself feeling just totally afraid of the future. But I began to think something as I read through the scriptures. And then it, that is that, you know, could it be that, that God's preparation for the glorious destiny he has for us often comes packaged as pain. It's a challenging question. But as you read through scriptures, you realize that, you know, we could talk about Joseph and, you know, Joseph saves the nation and he saves his family and through him, the continuation of the line that leads to Jesus is preserved. But what prepared Joseph to save the nation? I mean, in my Bible, I see that his preparation looks like rejection, 
from his family. Looked like his brothers, his, his blood, selling him into slavery. And, and then we find him bouncing from house to house, falsely accused for something and thrown in prison for something that he didn't commit. You know, maybe we look at David and, you know, we, we, we read and recite the amazing stories of David and Goliath. But what prepared David to defeat Goliath? He tells us very clearly in Scripture. It was the trouble. It was when the lion showed up to try to eat one of his sheep or the bear showed up to try to take one and take one away. That's what prepared. It was, it was the trouble. It was the hardship that prepared him for purpose. What about Peter? You know, as we read in the book of Acts and Peter delivers the, the first message of the New Testament church and delivers this amazing, glorious word from the Lord on the day of Pentecost with tongues of fire on his head. I tell you what prepared him, it was sinking. You know, when Jesus calls him out on the, under the water and he gets focused on the trouble, the waves, the issues, and he sinks. It, his preparation looks like, you know, one, the, one night he's declaring that, I'll die with you, Jesus. And, and before that day is over, the scripture says that he's denied him three times. Could it be that God's preparation often comes packaged as pain? That maybe these trials aren't here to weaken your faith. Maybe they're not here to get you to question or to walk away. Maybe they're here to make you stronger. Maybe they're here to prepare you that, that God sees how far he wants to take you. And this moment is simply preparation for purpose. You know, I've realized something that going through the challenges of my life, I, I kind of have to resign myself. And, and I recite this saying in my head that, 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 that this is not just pain this is preparation for what God is doing. That, that it's not what's happening to me, that it's what God is doing in me to strengthen me and fortify me to walk out the glorious future that he has for me. I think that it's sometimes it's about changing our perspective, you know, that you weren't turned down from that job, that what God is doing is toughening you up for the better thing that he has for you. That that offense is, is, is here to purify your heart. That, that loneliness is teaching you how to trust God like never before. That offense, that, 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 that betrayal that's sitting in your heart is ex expanding your capacity to love and forgive. And, and maybe that setback is a setup for God to show up and show off in the amazing de destiny he has for you. Can I tell you something this morning, wherever you are? If you're wrecked with pain, torment, anguish, I promise you, there is purpose in your pain. That no matter what you're facing, God never wastes a hurt. But like Paul says, this is here to strengthen you, to fortify you. It's here to teach you some things so that you could be mature, that you could be complete, not lacking anything. You know, oftentimes it, 
Unfortunately, is at this point in my message that you would say, or oftentimes even my brain would say to me, you know, Alex, it's, it's great and it's easy for you to say, but, but man, you, you don't know what I'm going, you don't know what I'm facing. But I love this, like, like watch what Jesus does. He continues to contrast these two things in the world and in, tr- in Christ. He says this as we read on in John chapter 16, 33. He makes this unfortunate statement, right? In the world, you will have trouble. But how many of you know, how many of you are thankful that he doesn't end there? He says, in the world, you have trouble. He says, but take heart. But take heart. He says, but take heart, I, right? And, and I realize that he's not just talking about himself, but, but I've realized that I'm in him. That when he's talking about himself, that he's not just talking about him, but he's talking about me in him. Like the scripture says that it's not I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. He says this, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He says, in the world, yes, you're going to experience trouble, but take heart. Why? Why take heart? Take heart because you just have to lay down and take it. You just have to lay down and accept it. That you're supposed to just accept defeat. He says, no, take heart because I am mighty. That I have paid the price and I have done the work and I have overcome the world. He says this, in the world, you're going to have heartache. In the world, you're going to have pain. In the world, you're going to have rejection. In the world, there's going to be maybe some nights that you cry yourself to sleep. But he says, but in me, that we are in Christ as I'm in him. He says, you will, in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your sleepless night, he says, you will have peace. You will have joy. You will have confidence. This is why, church, can I tell you that this is why I can be hurting on the inside. Why I can go through trials and tribulations and struggles and why I can be hurting on the inside, but I can smile on the outside. This is why I can preach with a fierce faith because I know that this trial is here for one and one reason alone. It's here to prove to me and to the rest of the world that the faith that I believe is true. That you might try to knock me down, devil, but I'm coming back with deeper roots and I'm coming back with a stronger foundation. And let me tell you something, church, if there's anything that's strong in me, it is not me. It's him in me as I allow him to prepare me for purpose. I love what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, as I close. It says, it's for everyone who is born of God. Come on, that's me and that's you. We've been born again in him, that, that the old creature is passed away and And we've been born again into him. He says, for everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. What? In the world you have trouble, but because you've been born into him, 
He says, you overcome the world. Let me tell you, you are destined. You were born to win whatever battle you're facing right now. He says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. It says, you know, who is it? You know, who is it that, who is it that thrives in brokenness? Who is it that lets their light shine in the darkness? Who is it that stands firm on their faith, even though nothing in their life shows that anything good is happening? Who is it, the Bible says, that overcomes the world? He says this, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus says this, in the world, you will have bad days. You will have letdowns. You will have troubles. But he also says this, he reminds us, he says, remain in me, abide in me. Don't be so focused on what's happening around you, but remain in me because I have overcome the world. I think that's why we, I guess one of the many reasons why we take communion and it's to remind us that it's a glorious reminder that though we may be facing challenges, though may things may not have gone the way that we wanted them to go, that as I take this cup and as I take this wafer, that it's a symbolic representation to me that the one who I know, the one who I'm in, because of the glorious sacrifice he made on the cross, that he has and therefore I have overcome the world. So I'm going to invite you, wherever you are as you hold the cup in the wafer, that you take this holy moment to remember and you know I heard a saying before that you know instead of telling God about your trouble to tell your trouble about how big your God is and I wonder if we could do that this, this morning this minute is if we could take this holy moment and as we take this communion, if we can remember how big, how glorious our amazing Jesus is. So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in each of our lives. Lord, as we stand in this holy moment, so many of us facing trials and troubles, that we are determined. We see these things with new perspective through a new lens that these are not here to take us out, but these trials are here to prove us, to deepen us, to strengthen us. And so we choose rather than being so easily swayed like Jesus talks about, that we have not built our house on the sand, that when the wind and the waves come, 
that we're so easily swayed or so easily moved off of the glorious nature of who you are, but we are those who built their house on the rock. And as we stand in the midst of our troubles, we rejoice like James says, because we know this is preparing me for purpose. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. You could partake of the, the communion elements. And before we close really quickly, you know, maybe you found yourself on the stream. Maybe you, you knew Jesus. Maybe like me, you grew up with Jesus, but your roots, they weren't deep and it wasn't quick. It wasn't long before you fell away from him. Maybe you've never known Jesus. You've never been in a relationship with him, but you're facing trials and troubles and hardships. And it just seems like you're being overtaken by them, that you're trying to survive, but it feels like you just keep drowning. Jesus tells us that we can enter into this glorious, overcoming relationship with him. And the way that we do that is simply to confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that, that he's the savior, he's the son of God, he's the great overcomer who came to save us and deliver us. So I'm gonna ask us as a church family, I'm gonna ask us wherever you are, whether you're alone in a car, whether you're inside of our campus right now, whether you're in one of our lighthouses, I'm going to ask that we would pray this prayer as, as, a, as a reaffirming and a rededicating of our lives to Jesus. So we we'll pray this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God sent from heaven to be the Savior of this world. I confess my sins. I ask for your forgiveness. And I declare that you are my savior and you are my Lord. Save me, cleanse me, fill me. Give me that same overcoming spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.